0: Hello. Welcome back. This is the Quacked Out Podcast. I am Charlie. You are Reed. And Reed, this is the fullest docket we've had in probably exactly a year, wouldn't you say? <laughs>
1: probably exactly a year. Yeah, that's a good call.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. That crystal ball episode is like one that sticks in my memory. Is like, what what the hell is going on? This is around the time last year, too, where we actually hosted a Twitter space. Thank, thank God I'm not involved in that world anymore but um obviously we haven't recorded since the civil the not civil war the oregon oregon state game uh we'll touch on that briefly i don't think people care too much about our thoughts on it at this point but we'll we'll touch on it uh and just kind of this se- this regular season as a whole i said this season because i mean at this point in college football your season basically ends at this point unless you're one of four teams um, everybody else is dealing with opt-outs and portal drama and all that stuff, which we will touch on as well. Obviously there's like at least 10 guys who are already in the transfer portal from Oregon, uh, probably more to come, but we will talk about what we have seen from there so far. And then uh, another big segment we got to do is uh, offensive coordinator. There's obviously been a, a massive change there in perhaps in, – you know, usually your second most important coach uh, or coaching position. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll find some other things to talk about in between. We got a bowl selection. We're going to the Holiday Bowl. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to talk about, and we should definitely just dive into it. So, Oregon, Oregon State. We all know how the game went. We all watched it on TV. I hope you didn't watch it in person if you're listening to this, because that was probably even more awful for you. Um, What the hell happened, man? What happened?
1: It was an insane game. One that I I can't remember the last time I truly felt like Oregon had won a game uh, and was pretty confident about that in the third quarter of this one. Probably going back to, I don't know, sometime last year maybe. Um, (laughs) Probably Stanford game maybe. Uh, Yeah, so that was pretty hard to watch that collapse from Oregon in the late third and fourth quarter there. I mean, it just all fell apart in a pretty insane way. And to me, it felt like a pretty dramatic loss. I think our tone might be a little bit different if we were recording this directly after the game because I was definitely (laughs) frustrated with that. It was a big opportunity to lose, followed up by Washington beating Washington State to keep Oregon out of the Pac-12 title game. Uh, And obviously, having seen what Utah did, I think, you know, there's a path there for Oregon to maybe win another conference title. Instead, Mm -hmm. this is going to linger for a long time uh, in our perception of this season. Right. Having lost a Washington game a couple weeks ago uh, and then going into this one and feeling like we had it won, feeling like, you know, what what we had come off of after that Utah game was. Maybe this defense has made a turnaround. I remember us talking about specifically in that preview. If Oregon can get to thirty points, we're probably in a good spot in this game. Oregon got to thirty points for again. We're in a good spot. <laughs> yeah. Three and a half quarters. The defense looked like, oh, maybe it has made a turnaround. Uh you know, Beavers were at ten points getting the ball with five minutes left in the third. It was like this is this is awesome. This is days going about as well as it could. And then in the matter of 20 minutes of game time, the whole thing fell apart, marked by a couple big special teams disasters, Um, some, you know, I guess, debatable uh, decisions by landing that we'll get into um, and can talk about a bit. But it was pretty shocking how fast that all fell apart. What did you think about it?
0: Before we get into the decisions and the, the game itself, in generally speaking about losses, you know, it, of course it feels like this because we're Oregon fans, but just let me elaborate. Every loss feels like it hits us harder than most fan bases. Um, <laughs> and, you know, again, a lot of that is due to the fact that, yeah, we're Oregon fans. Like, I'm sure Clemson losses feel terrible for Clemson fans. Like, that's just how football works. But I think with Oregon, our losses are aired out for the national. It's like a national... News story when Oregon loses a game, yeah, um, because we always find a way to make it embarrassing for ourselves. Uh, whether it's a, a you know late game collapse against UW, whether it's just getting smeared on national television in game one, uh, whether it's any yearly loss to Stanford, like <laughs> or semi yearly, like it, it's always something, right? Uh, there's always an extra caveat to all these losses. And again, maybe this is just because we're Oregon fans. Maybe it's because we know all these storylines. But um, none of our losses really go under the radar. Uh, And I think, you know, that's a testament to what this program is. It's actually a good thing. Like, if your losses are, you know, Alabama's losses this year as well were like national stories. You know, they were incredibly huge scenes. They were incredibly big moments uh, organs might not have been that big, but that's, that's similar to what I'm talking about, right? Like it's a testament to your program's success that when you lose, it is this big of a story. So that, that's the first thing I just wanted to get off my chest. Uh, The second thing is that, yeah, you, you said it perfectly. I mean, in every way, this was a terrible capitulation. Um, I was watching with family and friends and it was like, I had, I had friends our age who were like, trying to get me to go out to a bar to watch this game with them and i was like no i just i don't want to do that i don't no matter what happens in this game i don't want to be in public i need to be in my own home and sure enough thank god i wasn't in public at the end of this game because (laughs) I, i i would have lost it um generally regarding this this outcome you know we can say the same things we did about the uw game right in the end like if we're taking like a ten year, twelve year look at things, like is this a good thing for the rivalry? Yes. Is this probably a good thing for the conference? Sure. I don't know. I mean, maybe you want to, maybe you want to like crawl your way around into an excuse to to find a way that makes this look bad about the Pac-12. But I think in general, it's okay to look at this realistically, um, and say that this was a poorly coached game. Now, we talk about the decisions. Those are getting all the attention from this. Something James Corpia brought up on his podcast that I was listening to earlier. Um, there's a point, there has to be a point, where a coach can make all the right decisions in the world. He can inspire his team, he can you know, make the right calls, the OC can call the right plays, and the players still don't execute. Um, this is exactly what we were talking about at the end of, again, that Washington game with the slip from Noah. Like That's not really anyone's fault, that is just the way sports work. Sometimes you do everything you can and you still get screwed. Um, That's kind of what this game felt like. I honestly did not have a problem with any of the calls that were made throughout the course of this game. Um, Again, I'm going to repeat everything we said at the end of the Husky game. Like, this is the culture of how Lanning wants to coach. I'm okay with taking risks. We've been going for it on fourth down all season, and I don't care if you're playing against Georgia. You should be able to get one yard. Uh, with this offense so I don't know in this case I think it was uh, more of a bad read than a you know slip or anything like that the punt being dropped like what can you say about that as a coach
1: like (laughs) yeah
0: the the coach didn't tell him to drop the ball you know that's you can't really get on a coach for saying oh uh, you know you didn't have him focused enough to make plays it's like no the dude just dropped the ball like let's be serious the problem that I do have with coaching in this game is on the defensive side of the ball, and maybe you want to get into this a little bit more, but holy crap, man. The fact that Oregon State ran the ball, what was it, like almost 30 times in a row, 25 or something like that?
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, officially 19, but, I mean, pretty much the entire second half, that was... Spiritually,
0: like, 50. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, it's embarrassing. Like, that part of it is is truly embarrassing. Um, and again, like, this... This type of loss doesn't feel like it has. I know these type of losses happen to other teams, but there's just always some sort of crazy caveat that makes it worse for us when we lose. So, um, I mean, do you have anything else to say about the game itself? Cause I, I really don't.
1: I think Oregon just put themselves in a tough spot a few times here. Um, I mean, the special teams can't be emphasized enough and just, the how easy Oregon made it for the Beavers to come back in this game uh and credit to Oregon State for getting it done of course like it's a huge win for them they do deserve credit for sticking around but I mean the first drive that so Oregon has 31 10 lead the first drive only takes four plays for Oregon State um they just roll down in in in, uh 75 yards but then they get it back on a 34-17 lead now, still a three-score lead, and this is when it really falls apart. They have, because of a bad kickoff and a face-mask penalty, they only have to go 36 yards on their first drive. Then the fumbled punt, they have to go two yards after that. Then the fourth down miss, they have to go only 28 yards after that. So, you know, when you have a three-possession lead, giving your opponent the ball three times less than 40 yards away from scoring— uh and one of those times less than 5 yards from scoring is a recipe to give away the game um so that part of it that part of it i think makes the collapse of the defense look a little worse when yeah i you know sure you can cut away probably 30% of that if not more and say it's the special teams fault but still the defense probably should have responded and gotten something done there Um, and they just didn't. And I think for me, I left with the question of, you know, why did this happen? Was this a result of the culture? Um, was it a coaching issue? Like, do we just need new coaches in the building? Is it a recruiting issue? Which I don't think it is. I mean, Oregon has the talent, uh, you know, in terms of their, the recruiting talent on this roster that they should be able to push around Oregon state. Um, or the other side of it is like ability and development that maybe the past staff or this staff, uh, you know, deserves, uh, some questioning of their ability to get the most out of these players. Uh, and I think it's a mix of all those things. I think it's tough to know exactly where it is, but for me, it felt like coming out of this game, the biggest thing was like, there need to be some ch- serious changes here because you have your rival on the ropes. And if that's not enough, you also are playing this game for a Pac-12 title berth. And it was extremely odd to see this collapse after a pretty inspiring performance the week before against Utah, where it felt like there were so many times that this mm-hmm. defense, you know, just needed if they just ever, you know, given up and allowed Utah to have one good drive, the game might have ended. And they stood in there and showed a lot of fight. And kept that playoff, kept that uh, Pac-12 title berth alive, and seemed like they cared about it. And in this game, obviously, it didn't seem like they cared about that much as much at all.
0: Yeah, in a way, I actually had the opposite reaction to what you're describing. You were asking questions about why I wasn't asking questions. I was, I was just a pure ball of rage. Um, (laughs) I didn't care how it happened. I didn't care why it happened or for what reasons. Um, because I, I had seen what had happened. <laughs> I, I saw it play out in front of me. Like it, what happened happened. Uh, yeah. And when Bo Nix threw the incompletion and the game was over, at the other- like, mind you, we're harping on the defense here. Like the offense still had a chance to end this game. I'm not saying that the offense didn't do its job for most of the game. Like we said in that preview that you mentioned. I mean, 30 points should be enough to win this game nine times out of ten. It's just that. <laughs> Uh, when, when you make that many mistakes, I mean, it's hard to come back from it. So brutal loss, hopefully it helps the rivalry. I guess that's a positive you can take out of this. Um, and like you said, I mean, good for the Beavs. Like they, I don't know if they deserve to win this game. I don't even know what the hell that means anymore. (laughs) Um, but they certainly fought hard enough to, to claim a victory. Um, it wasn't like we just handed it to them. You know, they still had to get the yards and everything. So Good for them, I guess. Uh, Beeves are headed to the Las Vegas Bowl, if I remember correctly, against Florida. Yes, that'll be Anthony Richardson lists Florida. Uh, Oregon, of course, headed to the Holiday Bowl against North Carolina. I'm sure we'll talk about those games eventually. But uh, like I said earlier, I mean, at this point, for programs like Oregon, where you have a lot of talent coming in that you know, and you have a lot of competition for roster spots. There is going to be roster churn as, as soon as the season is considered to be over uh, for a lot of guys. And this is as clear as mark as any that, yeah, the season is over for some of these dudes. Like, they, they couldn't get out of here fast enough. And you know what? That's that's fine. Whatever. Like, if you're feeling like you're not getting what you want here, that's okay. Honestly, that's why... I, did you see this Dion thing? Uh, yeah. So Dion's at Colorado and is opening... uh Not press conference. his opening speech to the players... This is really interesting to me. He was like, if you're not up for this, like leave, hit the portal. Um, And honestly, I have a ton of respect for that. Like I know some people will probably take offense to it. I'm sure some of the players took offense to it, but like in the, in this new world where players have all this autonomy about where they go to school. Yeah. If you're, if you're not up for it, if you don't want to be a part of this, that's fine. Like we don't need more dead weight hanging around or not even dead weight. You know, it's still, we'll run through the list of names who are out, there are guys who can still contribute, but I mean, if you're not completely aligned with what this program wants to do and what Landing wants to run, then that's fine with me. You know, go go find a place where you're going to be valued more in your eyes. Um, so yeah, in terms of this season, we talked about uh, we talked about this on the last pod, but <laughs> it's it's we are right on the line in my mind between like success and failure this season, right? I mean, we said coming in, we identified the win total, we got, we hit the over on the win total, right, of eight and a half, but it might have happened in the most dismal way possible. Yeah. Um, We both said prior to the season that like, hey, if we don't hit this win total or, you know, like eight and four, but if we keep the odds and streak, like that's fine. Or, you know, maybe we don't get to 10 wins, but we keep the streak alive or we just beat our rivals. Like, that's cool. What does this mean? Is are you feeling a clear, like, success or failure of this season um, right now?
1: I think there are a lot of – there's good here. Like, I think that we can't have the the Oregon State loss and Washington loss overshadow the fact that there was some real positive steps that came out of this season. I think the feeling of that UCLA game um, – that with game day there and just the excitement and the style that Oregon won that game in, like that felt like a real moment to me of, I haven't felt this way about Oregon football in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll hold that over. Um, I think, I mean, going into the season, all anyone could talk about was, is the offensive coordinator higher going to work? Who's going to start at quarterback? Both those things were a huge success Uh, when it all, you know, when it all finished, it was a good hire. It showed a positive philosophy uh, offensively from landing, which is obviously always a huge question mark for defensive head coaches um, and worked out at quarterback. We don't know, you know, long term, we'll see how it is. We'll see. If Bo sticks around for next season, um, obviously, you know, didn't exactly love the moments we had from the backups this year necessarily, but uh, it worked out for this season. And hopefully that's something that can be repeated going forward. So I think those aspects were positive. Oregon was at a time this year, a very good team. Um, But on the other hand, I remember going out of that Georgia game and I think, You know, know, win total is one thing, rivalries, whatever. But I remember saying two pretty specific things, which are we wanted to reach a Pac-12 title, came very, very close to doing that uh, and did not. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be embarrassed again. At that point, I felt like, you know, Oregon had lost two in the last five games at that point. It was Oregon had lost the two blowout games to Utah. They'd lost a glorified scrimmage in the Alamo bowl by a ton and then lost 49 to three to Georgia. And it was like, I do not want to have this feeling again. the rest of the season, we didn't have that happen on the scoreboard in the same way, but this Oregon state game felt that level of embarrassing to me based on how it finished. Um, Even though Oregon competed more, that was like a feeling I didn't want to have about the culture of this team that I think crept up again. Uh, And it made me feel like changes are necessary. And I don't want to like sugarcoat that. I don't, you know, I don't know who exactly to call out necessarily. But I think it's important to acknowledge like, while there are some good things here, there are also some bad things. And there's another step of changes that need to be made by landing here. Uh, and those decisions of what staff to keep, what players to keep and who to get rid of are going to decide, I think, how successful he is going forward.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I was just looking through our, our preview from the beginning of the season. Uh, like you said, I mean, not making the title conference title game. If Oregon is even in that game, um, I'm happy with, with the outcome of this season, ultimately, uh, you could say, well, you know, if Wazoo does their job against Washington, then we're there anyways. But I mean, come on. You're really relying, if you're relying on the Cougars for any help, like you, you need bigger help than that. Um, <laughs> I'm, it's funny because our biggest, uh our biggest question, and we've talked about this all year, our biggest questions coming into the season were on offense. They were the OC, they were the quarterback. Like, Remember at the beginning of the year when people were making fun of Oregon fans for Dillingham never calling his own plays before? Like, we have come so far from that uh, in this one season. Obviously, with Dillingham going out, we got to recoup some of that. But I don't know, man. I'm. I think for me, I think this season barely falls over the line of failure. Barely. Um, I mean, maybe if that. Here's the thing, man. For me, the weight of those three losses is outweighing the three biggest wins. I mean, what are our three biggest wins, right? Utah, UCLA, and what, like Wazoo, BYU, BYU. I mean, what are we really hanging it's our probably, hats on? I mean, it's there?
1: probably Wazoo. Now It was BYU at the time? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um.
0: So I don't know. I'm very proud of this team. I'll have a lot of good memories to to keep at the end of this season and we'll have segments about that in the off season. I'm sure we don't need to do a whole detox of this year, but um, it's disappointing. That That's kind of my word that I'm feeling right now for the season. I'm sure I could come up with different words throughout the rest of the off season, but I mean year zero, year one, whatever. I don't buy into that stuff anymore with the amount of, you know, with the resources at your disposal that we were already talking about with the portal. I mean, We saw how quickly Jed Fish turned things around at the worst job in the, not worst job, at what at the time was the worst team in the Pac-12 in Arizona. We saw how fast USC turned around. Like, we we could have done what USC did this year, Uh, which, yeah, sure, get smeared by Utah in the title game. Like, what a great thing. I mean, they won 11 games. That's two more than we did. Shoot. I would have loved to have won 11 games this year and lost a Pac-12 title. Um, They're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, so anyways, I, I think what I'll remember most about this season isn't actually from this team specifically, but it's from the conference as a whole. I mean, a couple years ago, if we had a team this good, we would have gone, I hesitate to say we would have gone undefeated in conference play. Cause again, nobody's ever done that in the PAC 12, but I mean, <laughs> it's hard not to, you know, we have not six nine or more win teams in the pac-12 this year that's half the conference is legitimately good uh i tweeted something out during the sec title game and i firmly believe this i'm i'm picking any of those six teams to beat lsu straight up like if both teams are at full health yeah give me oregon state on a neutral field like give me washington give me ucla um I think what's most disappointing about this season, too, is uh, not just the fact that we lost to the rivals, because that happens from time to time, you know, um, but it's the fact that UW got to those 10 wins, uh, and that they damn near got to the Rose Bowl. Like, they haven't lost a game since week six. That's yeah. crazy. That's not supposed to happen. Um we called this team dead in the water after those back-to-back road losses to UCLA and Arizona state. And they came back and proved that they were better. And of course, Penix has already announced he's coming back. So like there's something on the horizon for them already. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't judge the entire, like my entire thoughts on this program are not relative to the, the children up North, but this season, it's hard not to compare the two. Um, They had kind of opposite trajectories in a lot of ways. And uh, Washington was able to pull out that 10th win. So, I mean, where do we go from here? I don't know. Like, we had different goals after the Georgia game. We didn't really get embarrassed in any game. I guess that last game counts as an embarrassment, but it wasn't like a blowout embarrassment. Um, I don't know, man. I'm having a hard time feeling optimistic about the end of this season uh we said and we were saying we've said this all year long man the last three weeks of this regular season would paint how i feel about it in its entirety it's true and we lost two of those games
1: came very close to i mean given we came very close to winning the two that we lost but we also came very close to losing the one that Mm -hmm. we won (laughs) um yeah (laughs) i mean the bonix injury is a piece of this too um and of course (laughs) it's just hard because it's hard to put a specific like tangible you know cause and effect on that injury because uh, you still should have won uh that oregon state game even with an injured bonix and you know the Washington game that was hard, but I I felt like with how much of the game he was, even in the portion of the game he was healthy, you know, did Oregon do enough to probably squeak away with a win? If he's healthy, maybe so, but um, they didn't do enough to really separate themselves from Washington, like they probably should have been able to. So that hurts, uh, and yeah. not to
0: mention that he was uh, playing like a Heisman candidate. I mean. If he doesn't get injured, like, you saw the Heisman list that got released today. If Bo Nix continued on that trajectory, and if he doesn't get injured and we do win all those games, I think he's the Heisman winner. Um, I guess it would depend how he would do in a hypothetical championship against Caleb Williams. But, uh, yeah, I I mean, the injury, yeah, it was terrible. And, yeah, it, it hampered a lot of what we could do. But in a lot of ways, it kind of brought Bo Nix back down to the expectations that we had for him in the first place. I mean, he still played right. pretty well um, down the stretch throughout those games. It was just, oh, I don't know. It's an easy thing to hang our hats on, I think. Uh, yeah. But the amount of talent around him, I don't know.
1: Exactly. I think it's just the easy excuse. And like, yeah, that hypothetical's there, but at the same time, you're not going to be able to always just pull the string and get a Heisman quarterback out of the portal and rely on that, you know, so Mm -hmm. it seems kind of silly given the expectations we had for Bo going into this season and him, yeah, drastically overperforming those. But then when he comes back down to earth, you know, be it from an injury or whatever, to see things fall apart so much in the absence of that potentially, you know, Heisman level uh, caliber of play is, it, it, that doesn't feel like a complete excuse for everything that was going on with the rest of the team. Uh, I think you touched on the Washington factor well here. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, we don't compare everything to them. That's certainly not our entire marker of success, but at the same time, like there's a lot of conversations that happen between those rivals and Utah pulling out the upset against USC certainly bailed Oregon out a bit there because Washington, was in line to go to a Rose Bowl against Penn State and probably have a decent shot of winning that game. Uh, And that was... Deservedly, by the way. Right, right. They are
0: legit the scariest team in the conference right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Um, That's weird to say, and I think it's just weird. It's weird. Uh, Washington, it does feel that way to me, but I don't know. They're at the same time like Oregon we went out of that Oregon Washington game and both of us said I think the line wasn't that far off like I think Oregon should have won this game by around 10 points with both teams healthy at in Autzen at least and I still believe that with what Oregon was like at that time um it's a weird conference picture right so the other aspect of this season is you can look at these three losses and say all three were against top 15 teams in the country that i mean yeah. that that's one of the things where we've gone through every year um and kind of said like okay there's we highlight you know two three four big games and then we often say like there might be a loss more than likely in one of the games that we're not looking at because we've experienced a lot of those at or as Oregon fans this year you know the Ducks beat the bad teams pretty decisively um that was a positive mm-hmm. certainly Oregon State and Washington popped up and were better than we expected um they kind of dipped at times in the middle of the season and then came back up both of them having kind of similar paths there but they end as top 15 teams I think that's pretty close to right, and the fact that those were really close, vict- really close losses for Oregon um, that took plays at the end of the game, that took a few things breaking the wrong way with an injured quarterback, uh, there's a bit of a silver lining there, uh, and it just brings me back to my same thesis about this season and about steps going forward is n- not everything's bad here, not everything's good either. Like it's on landing to identify what are the good parts, what's the fat to shave off of this roster, off of this coaching staff, what have you, off of you know the offensive or defensive philosophy, and clean some of these things up and hone in on the pieces of this team that were really, really successful this year because there were some of those pieces and there were underlying bones of this team that did look like a top 10 or even top five team at parts of this season uh and i was really happy to see that after not really knowing what to expect going into the year and especially coming out of that georgia game
0: there's one thing i've written down here um and I, i ask the question what matters in college football I was thinking about this a lot today, so much so that I never really came up with a full response. So I'll I'll throw it to you first. Like, if you could distill it down into like a sentence or a word or a phrase, even like, what what is most important to you in in this sport? What matters to you?
1: I think. I mean, winning games is the first thing my mind goes to, right? Yeah, that's where I was going too. You get results, and especially the regional quarks. And perception and ability to like boast over your rivals in this sport based on winning is what matters and it's funny because yeah. on that judge obviously you know where you throw out all of the context and look at the final result and look at the two opponents that you care most about circle those games most every year Oregon failed in both of those tests um yeah, what, what were you going to say? What matters most to you? I was going to
0: say the same thing, winning games. I mean, your your win-loss record. I know it can be a stupid metric, and some teams' two losses can be better than one team's no losses or whatever. But at the end of the day, this is what matters is uh, the numbers next to your name. Unfortunately, but that that's just the way it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 9-3, and three, shoot, man. You know how many programs around the country would have killed to have a 9-3 season this year? A lot of them. Yeah. Uh and we're only, you know, a few decades removed from being one of those schools that could only dream of, you know, winning nine games. Uh so I mean it's hard to <laughs> it's it's really hard to contend that with the other part of your answer which I also agree with, the rivals part of it. Like again, 9 and 3, no conference title, lost to your rivals. It's tough. That's really tough. It's an emotionally charged season. More so, I think, than we had under Cristobal, which is a weird thing to say because he was such an outwardly emotional guy. Um, And a lot of players on those teams were very outspoken and emotional. But, I don't know, man, something about the way these games played out this season and the momentum that we thought we had that disappeared so quickly at different times and reappeared and then disappeared again, like... I don't know. This this season felt like even more of a roller coaster than the last one, um, even though we were in a damn playoff discussion for half the year last year.
1: Yeah, and to be fair, we got into it for a good portion of the year this year. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, when you talk about wins and losses, and especially in these rivalry games, I can't help but think back to the Cristobal era and like. You know, especially that last game against Washington. That was one of the ugliest games I've ever seen in Seattle last year God, that results man. in, like, getting fired. Uh, and it, you know, it feels like an unfair comparison, right? I mean, that Washington product was so much easier to win, to beat than this one. Uh, yeah. But it was odd because I think... Cristobal as infuriating as all those moments were and I'm you know and his style of play and some of those big losses and I certainly wouldn't say that I you know wish he was still there but there was a quiet sense of confidence that I think Oregon fans felt especially in those rivalry games uh, you know and the fact that Mm Cristobal was undefeated against Washington that took a hit with these losses this year under Lanning. And it certainly, again, it needs to be said that Washington under DeBoer is vastly, vastly improved and harder to beat than it was under Jimmy Lake. Uh, But still it hurts to lose those games. Those things matter in the sport a lot.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, what we could say about that is that DeBoer certainly had a better year than Lanning in year one. I don't, I don't really see a world in which that isn't true. Like, Sure he had no. a, some he had an easier schedule, yes. Uh would they have three losses? Would they have the same record if they played Georgia in week one? Definitely. But I mean, they went from four and eight to ten and two. What did we do? Like <laughs> nine and three to or uh nine and three. Wait, what were we? Ten and two last year? Yeah. Ten and three. three. Ten and four. Ten and four that felt like six wins, but it was still ten wins. Um And now here we are, in my opinion, a slightly unsuccessful season. So, you know, I like your point. Like, at the end of the day, no matter how frustrating Mario was, no matter how bad we got slapped by uh, Utah, or no matter how many times we would drop a fluke game, at least we would have that to hang our hats on beating the Huskies. So, hopefully we'll get that back. Again, this is year one. There's a lot of time for... uh, landing to you know prove himself a worthy guy a lot of time as in like a year maybe two years um but i mean i think he made a lot of i think he made a lot of the right decisions i trust that he can make more good decisions heading forward but um i certainly think he's a good fit for the oregon culture i i do genuinely believe that uh and no matter how much people say fit doesn't matter like it it all depends. Everything is relative. I think at Oregon, fit absolutely matters. We saw that with Cristobal. Like, his, his philosophy on football was not aligned with what Oregon fans like to see on the field. Um, and I think Landings is. I, again, I guess we'll find out. We have a one-year sample size of what he's... Not even a full-year sample size of what he's done uh, leading the ship. So we'll see what happens. You have a couple of these uh, important questions lined up to end this this part of the segment. Do you want to go through those?
1: Yeah, I think as particularly looking forward and as we talked about all year, those final three games were what were going to matter. Um, and certainly coming out of that last Oregon State game, I felt like we needed some actions to come out of it. That was a significant enough of a collapse that it's not – let's just run it back again next year. You know, it's the equivalent to like, in I, I think of the Blazers or something or NBA team, like <laughs> you collapse in in a big playoff series or something like you, you got to think about trading one of your three big pieces coming out of that. Um, yeah. And it feels kind of like that from a college football perspective. Obviously these rosters and staffs are assembled of all these different pieces and it's a little harder to, you don't just get to trade them. Uh, For someone else, but I think that I'm looking at you know what do we change this off season? We'll get into the OC hire, uh, which happened super fast, but otherwise, like what are we looking at for next season? What are the big questions? I'll start on the defensive side. Uh, Everywhere it feels like is a question right now. The transfers uh, came in in a big part in this side of the ball. We'll get to it later, but obviously Flo transferred out. Christian Gonzalez declared for the NFL draft. Waiting to hear official news on Noah Sula. but I think we're all assuming he goes to the NFL draft. Um, we'll see on that one. Uh, and I I think Dorless is probably gone. I'm pretty sure he's out of eligibility. I, you know, those are most of your best players right there. Uh, mm-hmm. or at least the highest profile ones going into the season, DJ Johnson also gone. Um, so, man, the defensive side of the ball this year, right? There is a ton of potential there for improvement, certainly. I think that's a positive. Mm-hmm. Like, can this defense turn it around in an offseason and be anywhere close to competent, decent product next year? Because if they do, uh, I you know, the offense, at, at least the box of – is this defensive minded coach too conservative to ever produce a decent <laughs> offense that's been checked like we know offenses can be good under Dan Lanning but the defense is like we got to see something from them uh and yeah. there's it feels like close to a blank slate there's some talent on this roster but how many spots here quickly uh, you know we can move on, but I mean, really, how many spots on this defense next year do you feel good about right now?
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think of any of those that I feel good about. <laughs> like, where
1: is the proven <laughs> starter right now that you're saying, hey, that you know, okay, at least we know this spot is locked down. I, I'm like Sewell. If he's back, uh, if yeah. if Sewell's back, which I would assume he's not. Maybe he is. I, you know. Otherwise, I mean, I think Popo's deciding to come back. That'll be nice, certainly. Um, maybe Keon Ware-Hudson's back. Like, yeah, these are a couple pieces here.
0: But, I mean, how confident do you even feel about the D-line if we get our best players back? Like, our best players were terrible mm. this season on defense. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Especially in the front seven. And we from- already know Gonzo's gone. He's not going to play in the bowl game. For all we talked I mean,
1: about with the linebacking core, um, I mean, Flo's gone. Sewell's probably gone. Yeah. Jackson LeDuc in the transfer portal. Uh, you look at safety, that was a question mark all year. I don't think that it's really been answered uh, coming I will out of the say season. I,
0: I think Addison played a lot better than I expected him to this season. Yeah. That's just one bright spot that I can pick out. But I do not I don't I wouldn't call it a playoff caliber uh starting secondary.
1: No. <laughs> no. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it that, nor would I call it a I mean just this de- <laughs> <A> defense <laughs> you, you it's just stripped down to the studs. Like there's you know, and there've been a lot of guys out and I expect more transfers out. Um but whether it's some of these names that you're going to remember from a cycle or two in recruiting actually turning into dudes or it's going back into the transfer portal and getting some big pickups, which Oregon did a great job of this past off season. Um, you you know, you're going to have to repeat something like that, but it's just worth noting that like, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of holes on this defense and not a lot of sure things. Um,
0: let's move on to the offensive part. Cause I want to talk about kind of the team as a whole, but first we got to do in order to do that, we have to do the offense first. Um, obviously Kenny Dillingham is the new, uh, head coach at Arizona state. He's crying in his press conference. Oh, home, home. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. I don't hate him for leaving or anything like that. Like you guys, this is how college football works at this point. Like, um, I'm happy for him that he got the job. I think he, I mean I don't know if he deserves it that's up to somebody who you know that question's out of my pay range but um, I do think he'll be a good fit there I mean it is his home quite literally speaking and he like he's a young energetic coach we've obviously seen that work at different spots including to some extent here this season um replacing him really going to be difficult but we've already done it uh, who is Will Stein he was UTSA's offensive coordinator before that. I believe he was a offensive and associate head coach in a school in Texas. Um, give, give me a reason why I should be excited and give me a reason why I shouldn't be excited.
1: I think for me, I look at it like when you go into an offensive coordinator hire, you kind of have three pools that you can choose from. You can go with a guy who's on your staff right now, elevate someone internally. Um, I don't really like that hire usually because it's kind of a low upside hire. Uh, your, your offense usually isn't going to improve that much when you just hire a guy who was beneath the person that just left. The
0: Yeah. And I mean, the big exception to that is when you have years and decades of continuity that you build up behind you and then you elevate someone. Right. Uh, I'm thinking Chip Kelly era Helfrich and Scott Frost. Like, yeah. You know, if we had a Helfrich or Scott Frost line around, like, yeah, sure. Elevate them. Uh, They've been around long enough, but I mean, yeah, this entire staff is brand new already. So I agree. Not that one.
1: Exactly. I think the other thing is you can go after a big name. um, And this is an interesting way to go because yeah, you know, and once sometimes it works out, sometimes you get a guy like Joe Moorhead came into Oregon um, you know, in this case, it was a lot of people talking about Joe Brady, uh, the offensive analyst for LSU, then went and was OC and in, uh, in care with the Carolina Panthers under Matt Rule. But the reality, in my mind at least, is a lot of times when you're going after that big, big name hire with a long resume, there's probably a reason why they're back at the level of a calling, uh, plays as an offensive coordinator in college, right. You know, for more head didn't work out as a head coach in the sec, uh, for Joe Brady, it didn't work out as an offensive coordinator when he was given the reins, albeit at the NFL level. So I think those hires, you know, hires like that are interesting to me. Uh, and I, you know, all these things, like you can go these different routes. I think there's no one size fits all this way is always best. Um, but in general, I lean towards the third route and was hoping that we would go in the third route, which we did, which is a young up and coming guy who's rising through the profession. And this is a logical next step following a track record of success at lower levels. Um, Mm -hmm. that's exactly who Will Stein is, right? Uh, he played quarterback at Louisville. Went to Tex, then went to Texas with Charlie Strong, who was his coach at Louisville, was graduate, grad assistant there. Goes to Texas with him, then goes to the high school ranks in Texas, has success there, gets a, a on-field uh, wide receiver coach role at UTSA, successful there. Quickly is promoted to offensive coordinator before last season, uh, and has success running UTSA's offense this season. That's, you know, that's what it is. It's kind of a similar profile to who Kenny Dillingham was in the big picture sense of young, energetic guy, like fresh, new ideas, understands where fo- football is and where it's going, and has been successful at lower levels. But similar to that, like, you know, we said with Dillingham before he hasn't done this at this level, calling plays, running his own offense, being the head man in a power five conference before he was, you know, with Norvell um, at Florida state and sign it kind of the second in command over that offense there even. And with Stein, yeah, you know, he was the guy for UTSA, but still there's a difference between being at UTSA and being at Oregon. So you have to see if he can make that step up and that's, in the same way that there are risks if you pick out of the pool of big name guys or risks if you pick out of the internal hire pool, there are definitely risks here with elevate, with asking a guy to take this big of a step up. Um, but for me, it's the right type of risk to take. And Lanning has had a pretty good track record with his hires so far, in my opinion, um, so I like the move, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've, you know, watched every ounce of film on, on Will Stein. Um, the
0: Roadrunners,
1: Yeah. The Roadrunners.
0: Meet, <laughs> meet, man. Come on. Meet, meet. Uh, what I will say about this, I, I agree with, I really like your assessment of the three pools. I think that second pool you were talking about with like names, everyone already knows, uh, or not everyone, but like, uh, how we put it? It's not a household name, but it's like a message board name. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, those are what good get term. people most excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those are those are what get fans most excited. Um. Oh my God. You know, we got so and so. Like, oh sweet. Um. And there's and a lot of times details get way overshadowed when that kind of thing happens. Um. In a lot of ways, I mean, this hire kind of reminds me of Landing's hire in general. Uh. It's somebody who wasn't really on any like big boards that you would see on message boards or like in group chats or anything like that. Um, it came a little, you know, kind of came out of left field. Like I certainly wasn't, I certainly hadn't heard uh, his name before today. I mean, maybe a couple times listening to the split zone duo, but I certainly <laughs> didn't remember his name. Yeah. Um, again, he's, he's, he hasn't been an offensive coordinator for very long. No. Uh, the guy ahead of him at UTSA the year before uh, got hired away to somewhere. I can't remember exactly where. Um, I could look in Jared Denny's article right now and figure it out, but whatever. Um, I mean, this is a guy who hasn't been there for a while, but has certainly had success. I mean, they're a top, borderline top 10 offense in the country. And that's saying a lot playing at UTSA. It's hard to get on a top board of anything being in Conference USA. Um, he obviously is from Texas, he knows Texas very well. Coaching at Lake Travis is basically like coaching at a small college. Um, I I don't mean that as a joke. Like those people seriously, t- they t- they take their shit really really seriously. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> like more seriously than probably some conference USA programs, I would imagine. Um, so yeah, I mean, on paper, I don't have a problem with the hire, but again, I, I feel similar to how I felt about landing getting hired last year. Uh, you know, wait and see. Um, I'm going to, I'll certainly dive into his offense a little bit in the off season. Uh, I'm not in school anymore, so I don't have to worry about burning time on like meaningless papers. Hopefully I can burn it on this instead, but, uh, I'm curious to see how he runs his offenses. I know they put up a lot of points, but ultimately I think you outlined the important question here, um, in the offensive expectations for this season. I just hope people recalibrate accordingly because Oregon was pretty much an automatic 40 this year until Bo got hurt. You can't be expecting that um, with a new guy. I don't care who it is. Um, Especially when you lose your, your Heisman candidate quarterback uh, or would be Heisman candidate quarterback. Like, I don't know. I I think, you know, 30 ish, maybe, I don't know. What are your expectations point wise?
1: Yeah. I think for me, it, it all obviously has to come on the condition that one, you know, there's some quarterback in here. I think it's worth noting, like Nick still hasn't made a decision. The fact that he's playing in the bowl game. Some people think that's a positive. I don't know. Read into that, whatever you will. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I have much of a clue one way or the other, <laughs> what Bo Nix is going to decide to do next year. Uh, I, But an interesting piece of this time, this uh, hire as well Is that he worked with um, Hudson Card uh, was his high Mm -hmm. school court at was his high school coach at uh, Lake Travis. That's the Texas backup quarterback who was in a pretty serious competition with Quinn Ewers uh, to win the Mm -hmm. job at Texas. You know, it's a solid portal quarterback uh, who I think a lot of people you know around Oregon. Have been saying if Bo leaves, obviously with Jay Butterfield having left, uh, you know what or what's Oregon gonna do at quarterback next season? Is Ty really the guy? You probably even if you want to give Ty a shot at it, you probably want someone else in there who can really compete with him, uh, who's had a few years of experience in college football. Hudson Card makes a lot of sense to fill that role uh, if Nicks were to leave. So that's a positive that like you potentially have a tie in there. Seems like, you know, obviously this is all speculation, but you'd have to think like power five job at Oregon, a power five school at Oregon. You see what Bo Nix did there as a transfer last year. Hudson Card, you know, probably would at least have that as an option with his high school guy going there. Plenty of other quarterbacks in the portal as well.
0: Yeah, looking Uh, at the list right now. Yeah,
1: (laughs) a ridiculous list of quarterbacks. Um, So maybe you can get in a bidding war for one of those as well if you're Oregon. Um, that's an element of this hire too. look, you know, I think I'm not running around celebrating necessarily. It I think it's good. I think it shows competence from Lanning. I have optimism and I'm certainly not hitting the panic button if I'm an Oregon fan. And I certainly would encourage other people who just look at this hire as simply as, oh, wow, we hired UTSA's quarter, uh, offensive coordinator to be, you know, be a little more serious about how they investigate these hires. Cause honestly, I don't know how much you got into the Joe Brady rumors uh, and how
0: I was hearing them. And I, I was, you know how I operate at this point. I didn't read into it at all. I just straight up didn't care.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, honestly, I like this hire. Um, I like it as much or more than that hire. I, it's, you know, a, it's not as big of a name or swing on its face, certainly, but I think it just like makes, I think it's smart. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think if Lanning, if this is really Lanning's guy, like Dillingham was Lanning's guy, you know, that worked out really well. And I think he's earned a little bit of trust or at least a little bit of wait and see about this potentially being a good hire again. Um, So I feel good about that. I was happy with that news today. It was what I could have asked for from the OC search. And the other part of it that was really, really, really important was doing it on a a very fast timeline to help close on these recruits before the uh, December 21st, I think, uh, early signing period. So that was huge. Like you have to expect next few days meeting with Dante Moore, trying to lock that in on Dickey, Dante Dowdell, all these guys in this 2023 recruiting class. Um, important to lock those in and refreshing given the timeline that Mario usually operated on for his assistant hires.
0: Uh, Landing flew to Michigan to meet with Moore, is that right? Yeah, that uh, is right. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's good, I guess. I saw him throwing up the O, tweeting it out. So, I mean, that that's nothing but good news, I guess. Um, I'm looking at this list of transfer QBs right now. Card is listed as 8th per on 3. I mean, these are, I don't know. I I don't know how much actually goes into these rankings. They re-rank them after they go in the portal. But, um, like, DJU, eh, maybe. Like, does he move the needle for you at all? I'm not sure. Brennan Armstrong, Devin Leary, there's a couple interesting names on there. Um, Obviously, DJ's like, DJ was choosing between Clemson and Oregon and that highly publicized, uh, recruitment and eventual commitment to the Tigers. Um, I don't know. I could see a Bo Nix type trajectory for him. Maybe not at the same level of effectiveness that Bo had, but, uh, I mean, the PAC 12 defenses are certainly not as good as the ACC ones. Don't get me wrong. I think the conference in general, like overall, I think the PAC 12 was much, much better than the ACC this year, but That doesn't mean we have defense still. Um, Yeah, man. I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. Obviously, Moore is at the top of everybody's list in terms of effectiveness. Um, That would be the ideal among ideal uh, guys to get in the door. But, uh, yeah, I I like that Will Stein analysis. You you got anything else on Stein, or should we move on to some players?
1: Uh Yeah. Well, I will say, sorry, I I kind of got off on a tangent there, but I do want to circle back to your question real quick. uh, With you know the what are expectations for this offense? I kind of think if the court, you know, if it's Knicks, hopefully, or like Card or Ty Thompson developed well, uh, and then the second part of this is what does this offensive line look like because. Clem's gonna be tasked with building this thing up again, uh, with no inherited, you know, or very few inherited returning starters. There's a lot of pieces there. I think Jackson Powers Johnson, Johnson, Marcus Harper, Josh Connerly. There's guys like this. This room isn't bare, so it should be a good offensive line. But development is something that people have questioned from Adrian Clem before. Like now's the time to show it. Um, maybe a transfer or two in on that group too. But I think if this is a top, you know, three, four offensive line in the conference, which the legacy of Oregon says it should be, I don't really want to hear excuses on that, even with the departing players. And the quarterback play is, is, you know, a a close ish to this year or a step down, maybe small step down. um, Mm -hmm. I expect like 30 to 45 points is what this offense should be scoring, right? It was Mm 40-plus this year. I think you can knock that down a little bit, but still, like, this offense should be scoring over 30 against almost everybody is how I feel. Um,
0: Right now, as we're evaluating this, still got Troy. Yep. Still got both running backs that were used throughout the year. Well, all the running backs, really, that were used this season. Uh, The offensive line is the big question, but, um, again, we play in the Pac-12, like, (laughs) <laughs> if USC's offensive line could protect, you know, if they could help out a Heisman contender or a Heisman winner in all likelihood this season, then I think Oregon should be able to to bring some guys up to do that as well.
1: Right. Um, you, you got Franklin as a number one at receiver. You've got Hudson coming back right now. Uh, sucks to lose Thornton, and we'll get into these transfers more, but you're probably expected to get maybe another transfer kind of like uh, what Coda was someone in that role, wide receiver, two wide receiver, three for this team. Uh, and you got some young talent with Casper and Dickey and kozart coming in that, you know, there's, it, it should be a good receiver room. Tight ends are almost all back. If that offensive line works out again, like 30 plus points per game, that should put you in a good position against all, you know, a lot of the people you play next year.
0: Um, I'm looking at our opponents next year because I'm a sicko and I've already looked way too far ahead. But I mean, shoot, we're talking about the roster for next year anyways. So we might as well get into this. Uh, Portland state to open the season at home should be easy cash at Texas tech in Lubbock, Texas game two, Tyler Shuck revenge game. Uh, Hawaii coming to town the week after that should be able to take care of business. And then this conference slate, man, this is going to be one for the ages. Like, we go at Arizona State, uh, we go at Utah, we go at Stanford, at UW, but we have the Trojans at home. We have Dion and the Buffaloes at home, uh, and we got Oregon State at home. This, <laughs> I'm excited for next year already. Um, and doesn't <laughs> doesn't that just paint a lovely picture of college football? Out of out of all this, all we've really done is just extend the off-season wait time. Um, so, great. Let's see what happens. Uh, as for players, transfer portal. Um, our guys, Jared Denny over at Scoop Duck, who we always plug, has a big, long list of all the guys who have already transferred. Let me refresh it just in case there's any more. Um, let's just go through this list real quick, give quick thoughts on each guy. Some obviously have barely played. Some of these guys were key pieces, or at one point were key pieces. Um, so, yeah. Uh, where do you want to start? I'll, I'll let you have a pick of the board here.
1: Well, let's just do this in order. I'm just going to go down the list, I think okay. is, is okay. the easiest way. Uh, starting with seven who put his name in there on October 31st. This says, um, yeah, I I'm fine with it at this point. I don't know. Seven had a ton of talent Wish him the best, but I think that it's one of those guys who, uh, I just don't know if we were on the same page with like his role in the program and mm-hmm. um, having that be, like, a unifying force in the locker room. So I'm I'm okay with it. Um, wish him the best. Again, you know, no ill will there, but, like, I think Oregon's fine there. I, I don't I, – obviously, before we get into some of these, I should just say, like, Oregon needs around 20 transfers to fill out what they're going to do in terms of bringing in their freshman class and having a few spots left over to get some other transfers as well. Uh, so like these are, you have to keep in mind that these are necessary losses from someone from somewhere on your roster. Um, but yeah, what do you think? And
0: I will say it's also possible that some of these guys jump back in, right? We saw it last Mm. or jump, jump back into Oregon's roster. Um, we saw that last year where I think Sean dollars did it like four times in the span of a day (laughs) or something. Um, (laughs) with entering and leaving the portal. So uh, with seven, I think this is the toughest one to swallow from an emotional standpoint. I mean, this was a guy, this was a guy that, you know, we obviously tracked heavily in recruitment. He had a really interesting recruitment and like odd high school career that ended up seeing him play in New York, but he was still very much committed to Oregon. So I really like that about him. It was very clear to me that he always just wanted to be D'Anthony Thomas, number two. And I mean that's a really tough thing to just walk in and do anywhere. Yeah. Um, again, I think production-wise, what he gave us was replaceable, but for me, I'm going to remember seven for, like, being a being really committed to this program at least in the beginning. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough to swallow that one. This next one though, I think is a little tougher to swallow just from an on-field perspective. Uh, Dante Thornton, uh, he's gone. Mac is gone. This was a guy who, I mean, obviously, I don't think we ever saw his full potential play out on the field. Maybe on a couple plays, you could say it did. But in general, I think it was always a little more hype than substance. That being said, I mean, this is Oregon. Hype matters. It was really cool to see, like, to walk into interviews and see Dante wearing all his chains and explaining them. It was really cool to have that, like, big personality in the locker room even if the guy wasn't getting as many touches as, uh, as he should have been. Um, so I think for a lot of Oregon fans, he'll always kind of represent a, what could have been curious to see where he lands, but yeah, disappointing.
1: Yeah, that is, that's definitely a theme. And particularly, I mean, as I'm, as I'm doing this, I'm pulling up the 2021 recruiting class, highest recruit Oregon recruiting class signed ever. Um, it was kind of the first recruiting class that I think felt like it was signed at like a national title caliber in this new uh, mm-hmm. era of college football, and we are seeing these guys drop pretty fast from this list. Um, yeah, Thornton, a big one, sad because he really could have been a number two to to Troy next year, and I think this offense could have potentially supported two really big seasons for both of them. He had a few breakout plays this year but it's definitely yeah a story of what could have been. Uh I wonder where we'll see him potentially at uh I think he has some relationship with Caleb Williams back to their Maryland days so maybe uh, there's a maybe there's a spot for him at USC. That would be tough to swallow certainly. Um
0: Byron Cardwell, next name we want to talk about probably the most underwhelming name from this entire roster this season. Uh, not, not through any fault of his own necessarily. He just like didn't play this year, uh, had a great season as like the, what seemed to be like, he was going to be the incumbent back this season. Mm -hmm. Um, last year broke out as a freshman, had that great game against like Colorado. Was that that game? Um, Showed a lot of really good physical attributes. We never really did we ever figure out what the deal was with Cardwell this year? Like why he didn't play? Um, because if I I learned about it, I forgot, got lost in the shuffle.
1: I think it, uh, I think it mostly just came down to Carlos Lachlan's preference in the style of running backs that he liked. And you know, Cardwell is unique, right? He's a very patient back, um, and I think. Uh, that is not a disservice to him but at the same time if you know if you want a back who's just a downhill runner a little bit more um Cardwell doesn't quite fit that and it's sad because after that freshman season people were talking about him like could this be a you know the next great Oregon running back people had yeah. those expectations going into this year just didn't work out um wish him the best next year. But I think this is, again, this is one of those that you can't evaluate it in a vacuum. Like you have to say, oh, you know, not just how bad is it to lose Byron Cardwell, but more like what's the trade for, how do you evaluate losing Cardwell versus gaining Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington? Uh, And I think ultimately that's a trade that is is okay for Oregon, uh, and you know goes in line with the preference of the running back coach. Sucks to mm-hmm. lose Byron, but uh, that room is going to be okay going forward.
0: Yeah, definitely. One room that might not be that we've already discussed: quarterback Jay Butterfield is in the transfer portal. This is not really a surprise. I don't think he ever saw the field in like a real game at Oregon. Um, I mean, this this,
1: yeah. I think that's right. I can't right. remember a time he did.
0: Yeah. Um, either way, former four-star, uh, tall. I'm I'm sure some G5 would love to have a Jay Butterfield on their team or a low P5. Like some, you know, you know where he's going to end up. I have no. This is not sourced information. I just have a feeling that man is going to end up in the Big Ten West. I can just feel it. Um, he's going to have a lot of hype behind him, and his team's going to go like seven and five, uh, and people will. <laughs> lose their minds about it um yeah i don't really have a ton of thoughts butters was always like he's there you know i remember uh i wish i could credit to whoever did this but i remember the day that uh dj committed to clemson the first tweet i saw was just a a picture of butter like (laughs) transposed on a on a blank field like the microsoft background um i was like oh i guess i better learn this guy's name now huh um but yeah do you have any thoughts on this at all
1: Yeah uh just didn't work out I think based on his style of play so I think like as much as the recruiting ranking you'd look at and say oh this hurts I it just never was going to happen after the new staff took over um because he wasn't a mobile quarterback but by all accounts I think Butters was like a awesome locker room presence positive never seemed like he uh created any type of like toxicity around the quarterback competition uh and even going back to that recruiting class like oregon fans and uh, um you know even staff were probably pretty clear about like we were going after dju pretty hard as a five star and jay was kind of like okay yeah you know hey if you need a quarterback like I'll, I'll step in once if, if he weird. leaves and then after and then jay shows up and then we're like oh maybe we want another quarterback hey jay is it okay if we take this four-star robbie ashford too and he's like yeah that's fine you know like <laughs> he was pretty low yeah. drama uh went to oregon you know didn't do anything wrong at all just didn't work out but definitely wishing the best he's from california originally so uh that big 10 comment is interesting i'm also interested to see like any place in the pack 12 like if if oregon state for instance mm. they're in the market for a quarterback you know if they don't yeah. want to spend money on a quarterback uh, or get <laughs> into like a bidding war like i think jay butterfield is the kind of guy that i think he could go there and be totally successful That's um true. and ditto yeah, could well. go for like Stanford, I mean, Stanford transfer probably wouldn't happen uh, there, but like a Cal or whoever, if they're, you know, if quarterback leaves, uh, you need a quarterback, like I think he'd be a good option at a n- number of schools because uh, he's talented. He, you just have to, you know, accept that he's a pro-style quarterback.
0: Um, Braden Swinson, somebody who had a good game in the horseshoe and then didn't really do a ton outside of that. Uh, former three-star I think borderline forest so i can't remember um a 20 class 2020 guy so he's been here for a while this one kind of sucks but i mean i think some people were sort of expecting him to be like a second kt or something after having one sack in columbus yeah. uh and when he didn't really take any bigger steps after that people just kind of forgot about him um That's really all the thoughts I have on, on Braden Swinson. I thought he was a cool guy though. Like I, I wish he would stick around for that purpose, but I could say that about like any of these guys.
1: Yeah, totally. I think, I don't know exactly what happened. We had obviously, like you said, high expectations after the Ohio state game. Um, yeah. Pass rush something that needs to be worked out at, at Oregon. Definitely a big black, a big failure by the staff this year after, uh, KT left to replace that production in terms of pressures on the quarterback. I think, yeah, Brayden, um, you know, probably a sign of a guy who's if if you're recruiting from if you're recruiting nationally and then you have a coaching staff change. I think that those national guys who came across to usually play for a specific coach like are going to be more inclined to transfer and maybe head somewhere back, uh, you know, closer to where they grew up so I think I probably expect something like that for Braden definitely wish him the best uh and it's it's a tough loss Uh, I mean it's a room that you don't have a ton of potential in that edge room right now or a ton of proven guys uh and he was one of the pieces before this season that we thought might might you know I think he talked about like double digit sacks going into this year uh as a possibility (laughs) and that obviously didn't materialize
0: yeah. Uh, next up, Bram Walden, uh, another one of those class of 2021 guys. I don't know if he ever played meaningful snaps, but I mean, every program in the country needs an offensive tackle, so I'm sure he'll land somewhere. Uh, he was the number 11 offensive tackle in class of 2021. I I forgot about that. Um, but he's from Arizona, so maybe this is a guy that follows Dilly. Uh Maybe he ends up somewhere else. I don't know. I don't really have a ton of thoughts about him.
1: Yeah, uh he was uh, he was definitely a guy who at the time looked like he would be a really good player. Um and again, you look at that 2021 class, you lost uh Kingsley pretty fast in that class. Bram was marketed as like, okay, Kingsley's going to be our left tackle, Bram's going to be our right tackle in the probably like 2023 season. Uh and now both those guys are gone. Uh some injury issues I think were what kind of derailed him, hopefully. I could see him maybe falling Dilly to Arizona state. Maybe he goes to UCLA. I heard as well, but uh, we'll see what happens there.
0: Uh, Jackson, LeDuc, this one might be the guy who's had like the most snaps out of all these names um, in an Oregon uniform. Uh, He played a seriously important role this season. I mean, he was in that second rotation of inside linebackers, uh, which obviously is a position you, you need to rotate a lot. Um, I think he had snaps in Columbus. I can't exactly remember. I mean, he probably, yeah, he actually, he definitely did. Um, but I mean, again, a guy who never, I won't even say he didn't reach his potential. Cause I think he actually did, but I'm, I'm curious to see where he lands. Not a highly rated guy, but um, yeah, just still a name that you would expect to have around next season. And it's tough to come to grips with the fact that he won't be here.
1: Definitely. And that, that room and in the inside linebacker room super important. It just puts that much more pressure on Keith Brown to be like a guy next year uh, and potentially for it to just be Brown and Bossa as as those two leading that room. Um, yeah. And we'll see if there's potential for a transfer to fill that out. But if Sewell goes, that's, that's where it's at right now.
0: Um, Brandon Buckner, another guy who didn't get a ton of playing time, but uh... – you know, not a highly rated guy, edge, uh, edge rusher, um, didn't play this year. Not really surprising, probably landed a lower level spot. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I think this is where you get into the conversation of like, I think that after a successful, somewhat successful year one, or at least after you get a little more credibility on the job, uh, it's time to start, you know, yeah, there. This is a numbers game, and like you yeah. have to decide which guys you're you're gonna want and gonna be able to play going forward. And if you're not, then um, you know, then you gotta find a way to move on. And it's probably best for both parties in that result. I think the same can be said for Terrell Tillman, the next guy on this list. Um, yeah, came in as an edge rusher, converted to tight end last last season for a bit, uh, and was obviously not going to be able to break into that room with all the talent there now transferring out, uh, back as a defensive player. Yeah. You know, wish him the best, but I think like it just wasn't going to crack the starting rotation in that group and in, in, either of those groups, probably.
0: Um, let's talk about Jabril McNeil first, before the last name, uh, former four star, somebody who we were excited about when uh, he committed to Oregon played in all of his games uh, as a true freshman, but um, just three this year, again, kind of in that same group, like just wasn't seeing the field a lot. We're going to have new guys that Landing needs to bring in and get playing time. So like, I totally understand somebody like that wanting to leave.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and also a guy who's uh, from the South, I think. So that adds context, but yeah. I mean, it's like, especially with some of those quote unquote like developmental takes, they're guys that like a certain staff falls in love with. And sometimes the next staff, it's not going to be their guy in the same way. Uh, so, yeah, it is what it is.
0: Speaking of falling in love with certain players, uh, <laughs> it is time to talk about <laughs> one, Justin Flo, who is in the transfer portal. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned Cardwell as maybe being like the most underwhelming guy on this list only because he didn't play like flow was underwhelming for sure, but it's always tough to call a five-star underwhelming. Um, I mean, he played this season, which was a huge step in the right direction for him, something he wasn't able to do before. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, his best game was that Fresno game at the beginning of last year at, where he's playing with his head on fire. Sure. He had a couple big hits and fun moments this season, but in reality, I think in a lot of people's minds, he was still like a work in progress as a player. Um, and maybe he just got tired of hearing that from the staff. I don't know. That That's complete speculation on my part. I'm not sure. But um, I don't know, man. What, what will your lasting impression of Flo be? Because for me, it'll be that picture where he and all the linebackers are flexing and he's like absolutely stacked. He looks like a cartoon character. That'll be my lasting impression.
1: Oh um, I, it, I mean, I think it was just that one, uh, game we had versus Fresno state where we had cave Noah Sewell and Justin flow on the field together. Um, <laughs> that'll be what I go back to as like the, the turnovers they created in that game and what maybe could have been, um, and yeah, it just sucks. We'll never quite get to see that. Like, there was a lot of expectations about him. He was touted as one of the best running back, or I mean, one of the best linebackers. Sorry, um, in the history of West Coast college football in the modern recruiting era, um, or West Coast high school football, I should say. Uh, and yeah, you know, it just never happened at Oregon. I didn't really expect him to be back next year. I didn't know. Um, but I guess it sucks. I don't know. He was injury injuries plagued him. I think that that played a part in him not being available and also played a part in him not totally developing, uh, to the point that he was able to be, you know, productive and a positive contributor when he was on the field. Uh, and now we'll see where he goes from here, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's a holdover from a past era ultimately of, of Cristobal and it's like. It sucks, but some of that work and those big gets and stuff that that felt really important at the time, like Oregon's got to do those things again under our new staff.
0: I just remember the night before that Ohio State game, hanging out with some people, and our our mutual friend, who I won't call out by name, who worked in the U of recruiting department, uh, the night before, he was like, yeah, Flo's not going to play. And I was like head in hands oh, my God, we are going to get killed. I can't believe this. Um, So, I don't know. I guess you could say a lesson I learned from that is it takes more than one player or two players, in the case of the Ducks on that day, to win a football game. Um, So, yeah, uh, no matter how important one guy in the portal or one recruit seems, you can always find a way to move on. Um, And, unfortunately, you know, I'm really curious, probably – most curious to see where he ends up out of anybody. I mean, does he stay on the West Coast? Does he go down to the South? He's got a lot of different options. Dion at any... Colorado.
1: Huh? Dion at Col- at Colorado.
0: Maybe, maybe. I mean, any program. In... This is still a guy who any program in the country will take this guy. Uh, and you can't really say that about any of these other dudes. So uh, best of luck to Jay Flow. It was fun. It was an era. We got that picture. I'll remember that forever. and that that concludes our list of of transfers so you mentioned earlier like you think we need like 20 or so guys out of the portal this year (laughs) Jeez. yeah this is this is the stand the new normal i guess um well actually is it do you expect it to be this much turnover every offseason
1: I think until something changes, uh, it'll be close to this number, right? I mean, they say over a thousand people have already entered the portal in the first day here. Um, it is pretty insane. It's pretty crazy how just after the you know final final stretch of conference title games on Saturday and the following Monday, we just blow the entire sport up with major quarterbacks and other players leaving you know switching teams or at least leaving their current teams um i don't think i think there's probably another version of this that gets worked out in the future uh but we'll see um yeah i mean yeah the the thing is is all of these spots and some of them certainly do hurt but i think each one of these guys leaving you know I would bet that this staff has a plan for either specific guys that they want to attack with those spots or at least a position and a handful of options there that they feel pretty good about. But, I mean, certainly some of them, you're you're not going to get a guy with the upside of flow or even like a Thornton probably uh, coming back in the door. So that hurts.
0: It does hurt. It's also worth, a, worth uh, noting that, you assume some guys to float up that you've never heard of before. Um, Or that, you know, maybe you and I have heard of, especially you tracking all these recruits, but, you know, somebody who's like a three-star that ends up starting and is really good. Like, that kind of stuff still exists, and for the most part is, like, that still is the main, like, talent aggregation system in college football. So, again... Like, we'll see how it shakes out. It's getting increasingly more difficult to follow all these different moving parts in the sport. Um, so, props to you if you're able to do it. I'm not. I remember last year I had this big old spreadsheet with like tracking every guy that was like leaving and entering Oregon's roster and all this stuff. Like, definitely not anymore. I, I don't have the patience for that. Honestly, it's hard in to my do. Anymore. Yeah. yeah, man. Um, Alright, so anything else you want to touch on? I mean, it's sad to see these guys go, but you know, all I can say is that I I just hope they're getting good advice and that they're not getting pushed out by people who have perhaps like cynical thoughts behind them. Um, Yeah, man, you got anything else?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I mean, I think we're both on the same page that we wish these guys the best and like, well, I'll root for these guys unless they're playing Oregon. Um, And Yeah, uh, you know, and I guess we just have to wait for the other shoe to fall in terms of what additions Oregon's going to make, and probably a few more departures that we're going to see in the coming couple of weeks here.
0: Well said. Um, Anything else on this episode? I don't know. It feels like a weird place to leave off, but (laughs) somehow we've gone like over ninety minutes already. So maybe we should call full time.
1: Yeah, I mean we'll we'll be back to I guess preview this. Weird holiday bowl versus North Carolina. My mindset is just, I think Oregon's up to a 10.5-point favorite in that game. Uh really? And hopefully you can just handle business, get to 10 wins. Uh, hopefully Washington loses as underdogs to Texas in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, hopefully Tulane beats the shit out of USC in the Cotton Bowl. <laughs> um, and you can kind of save face and pick some momentum back up in the off offseason uh, and finish off with this recruiting class coming into two weeks from now.
0: Really what I'm hoping for is just an entertaining Pac-12 bowl season this year, preferably one where not all the teams lose.
1: Yeah, any um, wins would be nice, wouldn't they?
0: Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, we'll talk about all those bowl games and all that stuff later. I mean, I'm sure like half of those rosters will change before then anyways, so there's there's plenty of time to wrap your mind around it. Um Alright, man. It's a tumultuous off season incoming, but this is the sport we love. Go Ducks.
1: Go Ducks.